Hi everybody, um, welcome to Christchurch today and um, I'm really happy that I get to share God's word with you today. How is everybody today? You alright? Enjoying the sun? Yeah? I, I hope people have got barbecues and things lined up for after the service today because why not? It's a great time that we can share together afterwards as well. Um, so I've got the great privilege of looking at the story of Joseph. Chris opened the story for us last week um, and I'm going to be looking at the next part of what happens with Joseph. So I'm going to be looking at the trials that Joseph faces, Joseph's response in those trials and also what hope is there for us when we face trials in our lives. So just a quick recap then of what Chris went through last week. So we're told, uh, Chris told us that Joseph was an important character. Um, he takes up one-fourth of Genesis, which is, quite, which is quite a big portion of the book of Genesis. Um, he was the most loved son of Jacob, and actually Jacob ends up giving Joseph a cloak or a robe of many colors, um, and this makes his brothers very, very jealous Joseph was a dreamer as well, and we were introduced to two great dreams that Joseph had, one of wheat and one of stars, the sun and the moon. And essentially, Joseph was raised up in the middle of the wheat and raised up in the middle of the stars and the sun, and those um, things circling him bowed down before him. So he was raised up in a place of honor in those dreams that he was given by God uh, he did something, he told his brothers about these dreams, um, which added to the jealousy that the brothers felt already, and it even tells us that his brothers hated him all the more um, for both these dreams and also the love that his father was giving him. And that is where we've got up to, that is where Chris got us up to. We left um, last week in the place where Joseph's brothers hated him and were jealous of him. And it just reminded me when I was reflecting this week of a story that I had in my life where I was faced with jealousy in my life. So I just thought I'd quickly share that with you. And there is a point to it, okay? Um, so when I was younger, when I was sort of first year of secondary school, I used to collect Pokemon cards. Does anyone like Pokemon? Anyone into Pokemon collecting cards at all? Well, we all have things that we might um, collect. It might be football, it might be um, cards, it might be lots and lots of things. But I, I used to collect Pokemon cards, and so did my brother. My brother's younger than I am. I'm bigger than my brother. Um, so we used to be very, very competitive in many things, and it led to this competitive nature in these Pokemon cards. We wanted to collect the entire set of the first edition Pokemon cards, but we only had a term at school to do it because everybody was trading cards at school and trying to complete this set. And I remember it came to the last day of school and I had five cards remaining that I needed from this set and I would have completed my set, but my brother, who was younger than me and smaller than me, he had one card that he needed and he lorded it over me and he was like I only need one card so I'm going to go into school and I'm going to trade with all my friends and I'm going to end up with this card and I was like well I'm going to get my five cards at school. School ended, we didn't get the cards that we needed. I mean that's quite sad isn't it but um, didn't get the cards that we needed so we went home, we were quite deflated, it was the last day that we could get these cards. Um, 
And we said to my mum, can we go and buy a couple of packs of cards? And she took us out specially, and we bought two packs of cards each. There's six cards in each pack. Um, and we just put all our hopes into these cards, that we were going to get what we needed. My brother first opened his. He only needed one card, but he didn't get it. Poor brother. Um, I opened my cards going, I'm going to get my five cards. And I got one that I needed. Looked at it. I was amazed. It was the card that I always wanted, but it was the one card that my brother needed to complete his set. So I looked at my cards, and I looked at my brother, and I could see in his face just the jealousy welling up, and he was so um, low and down about it that I got this one card, and I did what every good brother would do in that situation. I looked at my brother, looked at the cards, and I said, Rob, I'm not going to give this to you. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to put it in my, my deck of cards and keep it there. Um, and I could see that just broke my brother's heart. He was so jealous of my one card that I got that he needed to complete his set. And then he went to the boss. He went to my mum. And he said, Mum, Tom is being really naughty. He's being really horrible. And my brother started to cry. And then my mum said I had to give him the cards. And I gave him the card out of spite and gritted teeth. And I was jealous that he had completed his set, and I didn't. But you know what? My brother's tears dried up after that. And when my mum left, my brother lorded it over me. And he was like, I have completed my set. And that became a running theme in my family with me and my brother, even up till my last birthday, as a bit of a joke, my brother bought me that card <laughs> for my birthday so I could put it into my set of Pokemon cards. But there was a deep-rooted jealousy that I felt in that situation, and there was a deep-rooted jealousy that my brother felt in that situation. He had the thing that I wanted. He, in my eyes, was being raised up and, and looked after by my mum and being preferred by my mum. That wasn't the case. My mum loves us both. But in my eyes, that's what it looked like. And it looked like he was being put in a position above me. And I think that's very similar to how Joseph's brothers felt in this situation. So my first point today is that jealousy leads to sin. And sin leads to death. And whether that is death of a relationship, a broken relationship between people, or whether that actually leads to, as we're going to read in Genesis here, um, verses 30, so we're in chapter um, 37, verses 12 to 28, we're going to see that actually the jealousy of the brothers led to Joseph's first trial. Um, so I've got it up on the screen, but I'm, I'm very conscious that I, I don't want to... Um, use loads and loads of our time because we want to be finished quite promptly today. So I am going to just paraphrase some of this and I'll pull out some verses as we go. So verses 12 to 17 is uh, Joseph is given a task by his father. He's told to go and find his brothers who are pasturing the flocks in a place called Shechem. Um, he goes to find them there and he doesn't find them in this place. And he meets a, a man there who says, go on to Dothan. That is where my, you'll find your brothers. And he goes on. And we're going to pick up in verse 18. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. 
Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. So not a great thing. Out of this position of jealousy, Joseph's brothers are actually conspiring to to kill him, to get rid of him, to get rid of the dreamer um, in their family, the annoyance in their family. Um, What we see here is Joseph is given a task, and I think that's his first trial that he faces. The more and more that I thought about this, Joseph's father says, go and find your brothers. Well, there's a couple of things happening here. Joseph had this great image, this great dream that we saw in the beginning part of chapter 37 of actually his father and his mother bowing down before him and his brothers bowing down before him. He could have been in a position of pride where he went, no, that's not my job. Send a servant to go and do that. I'm actually, God is going to raise me up and put me in a place of authority over you. So that was Joseph's first trial, I think. Actually, he humbled himself, knowing that God had this great mission for him, knowing that God was going to raise him up. He humbled himself to actually honor his father in that and show faithfulness in that. He was also a person that his father could trust. So we read at the beginning last week with Chris, in, at the beginning of chapter 37, that Joseph had bought a bad report of his brothers when he had been with them in the flock before. So he had integrity there. He had honesty. And he went and shared that with his father. Was he going to do this again? Could his father trust him to actually bring a report, how positive or how negative? And I think his father could. But this led to his brothers actually in my opinion, setting someone watching out for Joseph. So they saw him from afar and they had time to make a plan. That, to me, indicates that they were watching out for him. Oh, where is our meddling brother? Surely he's going to come at some point. Um, Which probably indicates that they were doing something naughty with the flock again. Maybe. Um, But they conspire against him and they want to kill him and his dreams. So moving on then, um, verses 21 to 25, we see that Reuben, who is Joseph's oldest brother, attempts a rescue of him. He says to his brothers, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in a pit. That's not very great, is it? That's not a real great rescue plan. Um, No, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in a pit. Um, But he comes up with this rescue plan. Um, with the mindset that he's going to go and find him and pull him out of the pit later and restore him to his father. But then Judah, who is another one of Joseph's brothers, he actually comes up with a counter plan. Uh, So from verse 26, it says, Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to Israelites and and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brother and his brothers listen to him. So he comes up with a plan. Okay, if we're not going to kill him, let's still profit from his misfortune. So that's just something that comes with jealousy. We need to be careful of this, that actually when we're jealous, sometimes we can conspire against the person that we're jealous for. I conspired against my brother and it became a bit of a running joke in our family. So I would on occasion mention it and just bring up that story and how badly my brother treated me. Um, And that's not great. That showed my heart towards my brother was not right. Um, Do we try and profit from people's misfortune? 
when we're jealous of people? Do we seek to make alternate plans? We try and soften the blow so when people are gossiping about somebody in the office or at school or wherever we are, do we kind of soften the blow and say, no, but they're all right, but yeah, I agree with this bit. Or do we speak well of people? Or do we let our jealousy take over in those situations? Okay, so moving on to the next slide then. So we see that Joseph went from being a son of favor to being in a pit. And that's where he's got to. He was a son of honor. He was a son that had dreams of God. He was a son that had a mission. And he ends up in a pit. And it looks like all of that has been destroyed. All of that has been taken away. Joseph actually goes from being a son to a slave. He's sold to the Ishmaelite um, traders who take him off to Egypt. So he becomes a slave. The dreams don't look like they're going to happen. The dreams look like they're failing in this position. But what is Joseph's response in this situation? So we've already spoken about how he honours his father. We've spoken about how he was trustworthy to go and do as his father had asked We already spoke about that he was humble. And I believe that he doesn't give up on the dreams that God has given him. He's in a position where he loves God. He knows what God did for Abraham, his great-grandfather. He knows what God did for Isaac. He knows what God did for his father Jacob. So he can stand upon that and knows that God is faithful and true to whatever he needs to do. Even in the circumstances he faces... He didn't give up and go home, which is really, really interesting. He knew that he might find his brothers in a bad situation, dealing with the flock badly, but he didn't give up. He still went into that situation. Cool. Um, Does it get better then for Joseph? Does it get better for him in Egypt? Well, it starts off like it looks like it does a little bit, even though he's now a slave He ends up in the house of Potiphar. And this is, we're moving on to Genesis 39. So we're skipping a whole portion of what happens between there. But essentially Joseph ends up in Egypt. He gets sold to Potiphar. And we're picking up in Genesis 39, 1 to 23. So Joseph grows in stature in Potiphar's house. The Lord is with him. Um, And the Lord increases his influence in the house of Potiphar. And it ends up with Potiphar actually acknowledging that the Lord is with Joseph, which is amazing. And he puts everything that he owns under Joseph. So Joseph becomes the overseer of all that Potiphar has. Is Is this it, though? Joseph, we can see Joseph has definitely been raised up in authority. Is this it? Is this his dream met? Well, it doesn't tell us that God said this is the finish of it. And that's a challenge for us as a church as well. When we look at what we're doing in the town or we look at what's happening in our own lives or the dreams that God has given you, that God-given dreams, do we go, this is it? Or do we strive for more? Do we strive for more of God working in our town, more of God working in our own lives? I don't think it's it. Do you guys think it's it? No? Is there more that God wants to do in Helsham? Is there more that God wants to do in our own lives? 
Yeah, amen. That's really, really good. And that's what I think Joseph had. He had this dream of God's and he could have said, this is it. He could have given up at that point and said, I've got to the place that God wanted me to be. I've been raised up in authority. But his response is to stay faithful to God in that situation. His response is to strive to do the best job that he can in honour of God and in honour of his master as well. He knows that the dream is not finished. He knows that the dream is not done, which is just amazing in that situation. But something happens that seems to hinder Joseph's dream. And this is the second trial. So it says um, in verse 7, right at the end there, Um, All right, we'll pick up in verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. So that's Potiphar leaving it in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's not great, is it? That's not great at all. And we then read on, on the next slide at the top here, it says that she pestered him and chased after him and kept coming to him to, to get him to actually commit this form of adultery, to lie with her and kept pestering him. But in verse 9, Joseph says something really interesting. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, it looks like if he did it, he would be sinning against Potiphar, which is true. But he also realizes that he's sinning against God in that situation. That actually that sin would lead him into rebellion against God, would lead him to not follow what God's best is for his life. Um, and then we pick up in verse 11 then but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men were in the house she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house and as soon as she uh, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house it then carries on to say She called out to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. So Potiphar's wife is bringing a false report here, but what what does Joseph do when she's badgering him? She actually grabs him. What does he do? He runs away. He actually gets out of there. He disappears. He removes himself from the temptation. He removes himself from that sin. He removes himself from that position. And we're told that he left his garment. So my challenge to you, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to leave your coat? Or you've had to delete your message group, for those of you that use WhatsApp or various things like that. Or you've had to come off Facebook. Or... You've been in that situation where you're actually being challenged day and day 
um, to do something that is against God and against God's best, and you've had to actually leave your coat. So Joseph, he knows that his coat means nothing. (laughs) He knows that God's best is what he wants, and actually he physically removes himself from that situation. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to cut ourselves off from those things that could cause us to sin. And whether that's getting rid of your internet connection or whether that's deleting your message group or whether that's leaving your coat and running out of the situation that you're in. Just think about those things. Is there anything that you need to actually leave your coat and pull away from and break yourself away from? Cool. Excellent. Um, So moving on to the next slide, I'm rushing through this very, very quickly, but um, there's a really good point that I want to get to at the end. So Joseph's third trial then. Um, Potiphar's wife brings this report and she actually makes up a story about Joseph. Um, So Joseph has honoured God and he's actually rushed out of that situation. But Potiphar then tells her husband, no, it was Joseph that was badgering me. It was Joseph that was chasing after me. It was Joseph that wanted to sin in that situation. And you might feel that sometimes, that there's a bad report that has been made against you, and you know that you're innocent in that situation. Well, we've got such a great thing that we know that God is judge and jury. God knows what is happening in your lives and God can redeem you out of any situation that will look like you have been put in that position of a bad report against you. He can redeem you. Um, And we see that Joseph actually, he gets into a position where Potiphar, this guy that he's made a really good relationship with, believes his wife and sends Joseph to go into the jail. And this is Joseph's third trial that I'm seeing here. He could have easily gone, that's it. God got me to a position of authority, and now it's taken away. That is the end of my dream. And he could have looked at the situation that he was in, and he could have pitied himself, and he could have selfishly looked at it and said, me, God, me, God, me, God, in that situation. But he doesn't. He goes into that prison, and like with Potiphar, he becomes the master of that prison. So the the master of the prison, sorry, raises him up and puts all the the prisoners under Joseph's charge, and the master of the prison doesn't have to worry about anything because Joseph steps up and does a good job. And the reason that I think that he does this, the reason that he steps up, I think, is because of all that good stuff that he's seen happening in the past that he's built upon. He's seen these trials happening in his life up until that point, and he stayed faithful to God, and God has blessed him in every situation that he's faced. God has raised him up in Potiphar's household and actually caused Potiphar to say that the Lord is with you and the Lord is with you in this household. And we see the same in the prison. He stays faithful and true to God in that situation. And it's because his eyes aren't set on the trials that are before him, which are rubbish. And I don't want to take away from that. They are rubbish. But he looks to God in those situations and his mindset is turned to the place where he knows that God is going to be true 
to deliver and true in all that he does. God is always there, always there with Joseph. God helped Joseph to look to him and turn to him and see the promises that he had made and he could hold on to. Joseph knew the good reports of his family with what God had been doing in their family. And I think this is something that we need to be good at, is giving testimony. So if you get good reports of what God is doing in your life, share it with people. It brings encouragement to people. It turns people to God so their eyes fix upon him. He also knew that God was able to overcome everything that he faced. Did you know that God is in the business of making dreams come true? So if he gives you a dream, it's not going to fail. If it's a God-given dream, if it's a dream that he is going to do in your life, it will never fail. Whatever situation you face, whatever outcome you're in, it will never fail. And isn't that encouraging? God will make it happen. And the great thing about that is sometimes it doesn't happen the way that we expect. And there might be a different path or a different route than we planned to get there. And we see that Joseph went from the son of favor, the son of great love, to being a slave, to being a servant, and ended up in a prison. But God was in that. God was with Joseph. God was leading him. God was working in his heart. And Joseph was staying faithful in that situation. So who does this remind us of? Well, for me, it reminds me of Jesus. And I think Jesus is the better Joseph. So if we, if we think about Joseph displaying a light of God's goodness and a light of God's love, he's like a candle, whereas Jesus is like the sun. So Joseph is very pale in comparison to Jesus. Jesus failed trials and tribulations and faced every form of temptation and overcame it which is amazing. So he knows what we are going through. He knows what we face and he understands our sufferings and our weaknesses. He's won the battle against all of these and he stood in our place to be our overcomer in those situations that we face. Isaiah 53, really familiar words. We can see that Jesus had um, full knowledge and full He faced everything that we were going to face, and he faced it well. So he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow. Sounds like Joseph, right? He was despised and rejected by his brothers. And acquitted with grief. And as one from men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteem him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of all It's amazing. Um, And we also see in Hebrews, I just want to show you this. 
that we can trust that Jesus knows what we're going through. Jesus knows the trials that we face. So in Hebrews um, and chapter 4 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. How amazing is that? Jesus is the better Joseph in the fact that he faced trials and tribulations and he overcame it with no sin and he's able to fully sympathize with us and everything that we face. Jesus died so we can live, which is amazing. Jesus died so we can live. So you don't have to be affected by the jealousy of others or the jealousy in your own heart that leads to death. You don't have to be affected by the trials that you face. Even though they're hard, you can have your eyes fixed upon the glory. You can have your eyes fixed upon Jesus and have a a view of something better so your trials and your tribulations do not overwhelm you and pull you down and destroy you. He can carry you and your burdens in that situation. That's the great thing. We can put put our worries and our concerns and our prayers onto Jesus and he will carry us through those situations. And I know they're bad and I know they're tough, but Jesus can give you strength in those positions, in those places that you can't go, go through it on your own. And the great thing is, if you know Jesus today, you're not on your own. You can face it with him. So you're not on your own, which is just amazing. We are no longer slaves to sin, which is so, so great. We don't have to worry about that if you're in Christ Jesus this morning. We are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6 says that. It teaches us that we are fully able in Christ to live a life of righteousness. But the important thing is it's in Christ. We need to be in Christ. Um, And also, looking at the cross then, what do we see that's significant about that cross? It's empty. Some of you said that. I heard that. It's great. The cross is empty. We said Jesus is alive. He did go to the cross and die for you in your place. But the cross is empty, which means Jesus is alive. The tomb, the stone was rolled away. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive today, which actually means that we can be Um, We can be friends of Jesus. We can have relationship with him. He is alive and active in our lives by his Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 tells us we are sons and daughters and adopted into the family of God um, for those that love Christ, for those that come to Christ. We can be adopted into his family and actually co-heirs of all that good stuff, all that glory, which is amazing. So what is our response? Philippians 1.21 says to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I think we get a really good picture from Joseph of how to deal with trials. 
And I don't want to take away from anyone that is facing trials, because trials are hard. Trials are tough. But we get a really good picture of how we can face those trials. We can face those trials with humility. We can face those trials with prayerful hearts. We can face those trials with faithfulness. We can face those trials with glory to God. We can face those trials with trust of God and the goodness that he wants to work out in our lives, which is just amazing. Um, and I just wanted to give, share a trial that I'm facing today because I fully understand that trials are tough. And one of the trials that I'm facing today is earlier on in this year, I was diagnosed with MS. Um, I don't know if anyone knows what MS is, but it's a, a disease that affects you over your lifetime. And you could end up in a position where you degrade over lifetime and your quality of life de- declines over lifetime. Um, and I'm fully aware that that is a trial that I'm facing right now. And my prayer in that situation is that God will give me healing, but God will actually use that situation for the good of him and for the good of me. If my um, battle with MS, with my trial with MS, leads to actually people being blessed and turned to Christ, then praise God in that situation. If it leads to me being healed, which is my daily prayer, then great, I will have a testimony of healing that I can share and hopefully bring people to know God and to love God and have relationship with him. And it's not easy, it's not easy, but God is faithful in every single way. He's faithful to pick me up and carry me me when I'm struggling. He's faithful to know that he's got plans for me, that are plans for good for those that love him. And as Joseph says, we're going to see it in the future, um, in the next couple of preachers. Joseph says, about the situations that he faces, he actually says, you meant it for evil, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And how encouraging is that? The trials that you face can be used for the good of God and for the good of God's people and for the good of people coming to know him. And that's just really, really encouraging. And I think that's our response today. So I've got three questions I want to ask you. And if the band want to come back up, we'd be wrapping up. I think I was to time. (laughs) Um, But I've got three questions that I do want to just ask of you today as uh, we respond. Do you need to do business with God today? Do you need to deal with jealousy or pride or hatred in your lives? So that's my first question. Question two is, are you facing hard times? Are you facing personal trials in your life at the moment? And you need to see God in it. If you need to see God in those situations, please respond. And my last question is, do you know Jesus as your personal friend, your Lord and your Saviour this morning? And if you don't, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you 
because actually Jesus made a way that all the bad stuff that we deal with in our lives, all the sin and negativity and things that corrupt us and pull us down, Jesus dealt with on the cross. And he understands those situations that you're going through. So as we sing these songs, if you want to respond, I'll be at the front. We've got a couple of people. If you don't want to come up, that's fine. Grab somebody that you came with this morning. Go to Healing House after the service and step into that. We've got people that want to pray with you and want to share in those experiences you're facing. I'm just going to end in prayer then. Yeah, Heavenly Father God, I thank you that we can see from the life of Joseph just a a good example of somebody that has their eyes fixed on you, Father God. And even through everything that he faced, he knew that you were able and you were making a way. In what we've read today, he hasn't even seen the end of that dream coming, coming to fruition, coming true yet, but he trusts in you. I do pray whatever trials we're facing today, Lord God, I pray that our response is to cry, Abba, Father, to you, Lord God, that we will come and sit at your feet and know that you are worthy in every way to help us, sustain us, lift our heads, help us even to rejoice in the situations that we face because we know that Christ Jesus, you are good and you died for us so we could have a way and that way is to have eternal life with you. I do pray that you just touch our hearts, Holy Spirit, and you turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.